Giants, what I'm about. And what I'm about is an old school physical mentality. Okay? We're going to put a product on the field that the people of this city and region will be proud of. Because this team will represent this area. We'll play fast, we'll play downhill, we'll play aggressive. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes, we'll play every play like it has a history and a life of its own with a relentless competitive attitude. everybody welcome to big blue avenue i'm your host tom scavetta join alongside hank and dictor here hank it has been a, a stressful emotional week for a lot of new york football giants fans we have a lot to cover tonight a lot of exciting topics to discuss folks before we get anywhere make sure to go follow us below on all of our social media platforms on big blue avenue if you share tonight's podcast and subscribe to our platform on all the uh, social media platforms on the ticker below, you will be entered in an opportunity to win a free review preview long sleeve shirt. That runner will be announced at the middle of next week's show. So without further ado, the New York Giants season has ended. Hank, how are you tonight? I am extremely relieved. I would say this is probably the longest, other than 2017, I would say this was by far the longest Giants season I have ever sat through, start to finish. And you want to know something, Tom? I feel like I am a borderline masochist because, for the most part, 95% of the games, I sat down, tuned in, watched every single snap, and for even the ones that I didn't watch live, I taped all of them, watched everything, and, you know, I'm just – I'm glad it's over. But other than that, I'm glad to see hopefully they're trending in the right direction, even if it's small moments with the house cleaning. But otherwise, Tom, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. Uh, folks, remember to share this podcast. Drop a comment if you have any questions for us. Uh, I'm really looking forward to tonight's interview with Justin Pennick from Talking Giants. That interview will be played live at the end of our show, so make sure to check in on that. He gives a lot of great insight on this football team and where they might be headed in 2022 and the long-term future. But, Hank, uh, before we kind of dive into the offseason and the firing of head coach Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman's retirement, we need to recap this Washington football team game. The Giants lost 22-7. to abysmal performance Darius Slayton scored a touchdown but other other than that the offense was sleepwalking through this game yeah it was it was pretty much one of those typical boring games of the season and I'll start to recap this Washington's first drive pretty much went went pretty much almost down the field milked a bit of clock they reached the Giants' five-yard line. This drive was actually highlighted by a few big Terry McLaurin catches, one of them for 30 yards, but 
despite this, they didn't make it past the five yard fly, yard line. In fact, they settled for a 23 yard chip shot field goal by Joey Sly, three nothing Washington. And really after that, the first half was just an absolute snooze fest. Both of those teams kept going back and forth with punts. Giants actually attempted to respond with for their first drive. They went 10 plays, 45 yards, faced a fourth and one in the Washington 35-yard line. I was okay with the fact that they went for it, considering how the offense has been all season. However, Alex Bachman got stopped for a three-yard loss on this, giving Washington the ball back. And as I said, next eight possessions, all ended in punts. Six of them went for three and outs. But the most, the most notorious part of this was one of those drives involved one of the more questionable play calling I have ever seen. And, you know, I would say that's probably the understatement of the year. Giants are pinned at their own two-yard line. And... I Tom, I don't know about you, but when I was watching this, I was I almost fell off my couch. A quarterback sneak deep in your own territory? What, what the hell? Like, well, it, was, it wasn't just one. It was two. two. No, two. Forget the fact that it was one, two. And the fact that the second one happened on third and nine, I mean, look, I get it. There was a similar moment situation the Giants were in in the Chicago game they were backed up deep at their own three Devontae Booger gets tackled in his own end zone but the fact of the matter is you still have an don't you have another running back on your roster that's a number two overall pick and could maybe get you some of those yards back I don't know that just seemed really weird to me and let's put it this way using a quarterback sneak as opposed to your own star running back deep your deep in your own territory, that's like trying to make a long drive in golf with a putter, essentially. Mm-hmm. So you're right. Yeah, I don't I don't know. It 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 was really really confusing. And I'll tell you this. I would be extremely shocked if any one of you out there are playing Madden and are even attempting to think about doing something like this. So would I say he's entirely at fault for these play calls? I don't know, but just the fact that they even attempted this sent a really bad message. It To me, it just looked like they'd quit on the season, and eventually Washington got the ball once more. But like usual, and how apropos, they got the ball with less than two minutes remaining, 134 to be exact. They used up the rest of the clock, drove down to the Giants' 25-yard line, added more points, 43-yard field goal by Sly, and Tom, I would say that's only fitting. Has there been a game all year where the Giants didn't give up points within the last two minutes of the first half? Doesn't feel like it. It really doesn't feel like it. It's been embarrassing, to say the least, what this football team has produced on and off the field this season. It's just mind-boggling that late in the games, the Giants just can't put the pieces together. It's very unfortunate. And good evening, John. Hope you're doing well. Congratulations to your team on making the – NFL playoffs. So best of luck to you on Sunday against the Kansas City Chiefs. But Hank, anything else you wanted to add on this game recap before we dive into pros and cons here and really start to break this one down? I'm going to try to get into the second half, maybe as quick as I can without speaking too fast. 
two teams <laughs> would exchange punts to begin the second half, but on the ensuing Giants possession, Jake Fromm threw an absolute duck, 30-yard pick six to Bobby McCain that extended Washington's lead to 12-0. The two-point attempt failed. Giants did get the Giants did finally score some points, so I'll give them that. Yeah. They're facing a third and seven. Jake Fromm throws a 22-yard touchdown pass to Darius Slayton to put the Giants within striking distance. It was 12 to 7. And Tom, you want to hear a not so fun fact? Tell me. This I is the first it. the first time you saw a Giants wide receiver score a touchdown since Correct me if I'm wrong, but I want to say week seven against the Carolina Panthers, that would have been Dante Pettis. You're correct. So, in other words, really sad. You had more talented wide receivers on the roster. You had a first round pick who missed a good chunk of the season with an injury. You had a big money signing. And then you had a, a late round pick from a couple years ago who finally breaks that touchdown streak. It's really mind boggling how bad this offense was despite all of that on the roster. But in any event, that was about as close as the Giants would get. Washington responded with an eight-play, 72-yard scoring drive that ended with an 18-yard run by Antonio Gibson, and that was pretty much the nail in the coffin. Tim Settle immediately stripped sack from, led to another field goal, and, you know, Tom, you know what else was fitting? The last play of the season – Looks like yep. the Giants are driving, trying to make a game out of it. Jake Fromm throws one of the one of the worst ducks I have ever seen. Looked like he flat out had a mini arm punt that Bobby McCain just caught. Him. He had <laughs> two picks in this game, Bobby game. McCain. <laughs> two picks, three passes defended for Bobby Mer- McCain. Mercifully, that's how the season ended. Yeah, and I am relieved. I don't have to go another Sunday watching this garbage, at least until September, where hopefully we can see at least a more watchable product. Yes, that's how low my expectations are. I didn't say a winning team. I said watchable. Watchable team, yeah, and that's exactly what you want. James says, Hank, you say typical games. You mean they haven't played well. Well, uh, yeah. What do you expect? If if have you haven't you been watching the same team that I've that Tom and I have been watching all season? He has. He works on Sundays a lot sometimes. Blue City Empire Sports on YouTube. What's up, my friend? Says, how do you guys feel that John Mara is allowing the new GM to have full control? And it was reported that Steve forced John Mara to fire Joe Judge. I'm not surprised uh, about that because Steve Tish and John Mara have differing views. John Mara is on the more conservative end of the spectrum where he wanted to keep Joe Judge. Steve Tisch wanted to move on. Uh, There was no one point that broke the straw for Joe Judge and his firing. Uh, This was the organization moving in a different direction. This firing of Joe Judge was less about him. It was more about where the organization was headed. His timeline should have never been with Dave Gettleman's timeline. Was Joe Judge at fault for a lot of things and did some things that could cause him to be fired? Of course. But at the same time, Joe Judge didn't drown the Giants organization. He wasn't the primary problem. How do I feel about Mara having the new GM have full control? Great. I feel great about it. Um, I don't feel great about Joe Judge being fired, which we'll get into in a little bit, but I feel great that the new GM can come in here, have a say. You have two top 10 draft picks, a number five and number seven, and it does look very, very promising 
um, at least in the long run. We will see what happens. More comments coming in. James, honestly, golf would have been a better game to watch than this game. (laughs) Noah says the Giants should hire Kirby. I wish, but there's something about college coaches Mm -hmm. that scare me, Noah. That includes a a lot of uh, Jim Harbaugh talk that I've been hearing. NCAA 14 over Madden. Interesting. Interesting. I remember playing NCAA football. What's up, guys? What's up, Dom? Another Steelers fan in the comments section here. Pros. The season is over. We're about to get into some pros, folks. Stay tuned. What's up, guys? Daniel Bakley. Shout out to our Philadelphia Eagles fan. Uh, Just kidding, Dan. We love you. Go check him out on the sports box and cage my IQ. Actually, yes, just cage my IQ. Talks a lot of uh, MMA, boxing type, UFC stuff. So he's he's a good guy. Pros. Hank, let's get through some pros. One pro has already been talked about. A long season is finally over. Jake Fromm threw his first career NFL touchdown pass, which a lot of people did not see coming. I thought Tay Crowder had a solid game, 12 tackles, one tackle for a loss. I thought he was good against the run, made a couple of nice recognition plays. And then Lorenzo Carter trying to prove to the organization or whoever comes in, if the new GM comes in, watches film on Zoe and sees that he had five sacks in his final five games, maybe you give him a one-year prove-it deal. I know the Giants are pressed with salary, but I think those were a few players that definitely stood out to me, which leads us to our New York Giants player of the week, Hank. Yeah, and to me, the player who stood out to me the most was none other than defensive captain, number 23, Logan Ryan. He had, I believe, seven tackles, one sack, one tackle for a loss. He played every single one of the defensive snaps. He was all over the place in this game against Washington. And on the season, I'll give you his final stats, 117 tackles. That's second on the team. Eight passes defended. As I mentioned, he had his lone sack of the season. Two forced fumbles, one of them recovered, and 15 games started. So I would say he was definitely one of the more redeeming factors Maybe not so much on the defense, maybe more on the Giants as a whole. And spoiler alert, he will definitely be on my list of top 10 players when we reveal that on one of our next episodes when we recap the season. But you're not going to know where he is until you see the episode itself. So that's something you're going to you're going to have to find out. But there's no doubt in my mind he makes this list. The question is where. Absolutely. Lots to talk about this week, your mother says. Yeah, no, she's right. Shout out, Jamie. We still got to have that wine and dine type of night. Um, (laughs) Four of us will get Sam in on there. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, John Rankin has a Twitch channel at The Real Tight Spot. Make sure to go check him out there. Tommy the Mac McNamara, how's it going, Tom? Has a question. Will Giants fans finally admit that drafting Barkley was a mistake? Um, Before the injury, Tom – I don't think it was a mistake. What I now here was your argument back when we were in the studio on review and preview. The Giants should have taken a quarterback, which is what I disagreed with. I was saying the Giants should take either Saquon Barkley or Quentin Nelson at number two overall, and I leaned slightly towards Quentin Nelson, but I wasn't well, mad at the guy, Giants. You, you shouldn't be taking a running back at number two overall. You just shouldn't do it, but. In hindsight, Barkley has had a lot of injuries in his career. You could argue that it was a mistake, 
A lot of Giants fans are admitting that it was a mistake. Do I call it? Do I personally call it a mistake? No. But it is definitely a questionable pick because Barkley has meant a lot to this team. He had an outstanding rookie year. The problem with Saquon Barkley was what was around him. They didn't give him a good offensive line. You, let's say, trade Saquon Barkley to Buffalo. He's in, he's instantly a 1,200-yard rusher, 100%, because they have a better offensive line. I don't think drafting Saquon Barkley was a mistake. I think the situation they put him into was a mistake. It has more to do with the team than the player. I will agree to disagree with what you said there, Tom. And let me just be clear, since I'm Tom McNamara, I've never met. And Tom, I don't think we Good have guy. Met. Huh? Good guy. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I, I believe you. From everything you've told me about Tom, I, I totally believe that he's a good guy. Yeah. And as for you, I don't think we met when the Giants had taken Saquon at the time. But let me just refresh, give you another idea of what, where my head was when the Giants had taken Saquon. I acknowledge that he was talented, make a mistake. I had seen his mm-hmm. highlights at Penn State. Absolutely fantastic running back. Yeah. However, am I going to sit here and tell you that I was fully on board and enthusiastic with the Giants taking Saquon Barkley? No. In fact, every year for the past few years, when on the Facebook anniversaries, I, I look at my – there was a long post I made where I did the pros and cons of taking Saquon Barkley. So I acknowledged at the time – that there was risk for taking a guy like Saquon. And do you want to know why I, I thought that that was a risk? And it's, it's not just because of the fact that he's a running back who kind of dances around and sometimes risks lo- losing yards on plays. I thought that because just for the sheer fact that you didn't have an offensive line to, that you can use him with. Right. So I think he was, I, I agree with you in that sense. He was definitely in the wrong situation. I thought I, I like you also would have taken Quentin Nelson at that time. With that being said, though, who would I have taken at running back? I probably would have rather taken Nick Chubb. I like his style of play better. That's the route that I would have preferred, but it didn't happen. I know it didn't. No, it didn't. I'm just saying I'm not. My point is I wasn't entirely on board, so I wouldn't. If I say I was admitting that it was a mistake, a mistake, that's me saying I was ecstatic when. Tommy just wants to hear the words come out of my mouth. That drafting Barkley was a a mistake. Uh, Unfortunately, we'll have to see how Barkley performs on that fifth-year option for me to make a statement on that or whether not to make a statement on that. Yes, we got lucky. uh, Talking about the Steelers. Need to draft Brock Bowers in 2023. Now, this is interesting, though. Brock Bowers, freshman out of Georgia, 12 tight ends on the season. He had one in the national championship game, I believe. You know what? I wouldn't mind them at all. Either him or Mike Mayer. I know Mike Mayer is staying for a third year at Notre Dame. So I think Mayer and uh, Bowers could both potentially be in next year's draft. So I don't think you have to rush uh, drafting a tight end this season if you're the Giants. I still don't think you bring Ingram back. And I think you cut Kyle Rudolph. My point is you could get a Caden Smith to start for a year and then draft one the following year. Again, I like Caden Smith a lot. I like the chemistry he has with Daniel Jones. Daniel asks, why was the running game so disappointing? Was it the players or the designs? Because your Super Bowl years, you guys had suspect O-lines. So like, when did, 
suspecto line in our Super Bowl years. Mm, our offensive maybe. line was one of the best in the National Football League in our Super Bowl. Green McKenzie, Chris Snee, David Deal, Sean O'Hara, Rich Soybert. That's suspect. That was that was a pretty Kevin damn good Booth. Line. That was a great offensive line. I'm not sure what he's talking about there. Mm, no. So it looks like Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley are no longer safe. Oh, 100%. Neither of them are no longer yep. safe. Daniel Jones is the last domino of that trio with Dave Gettleman, Joe Judge, and himself. Uh, John Maris said it in his press conference yesterday that the GM and new head coach will pick who you know the future quarterback will be. Your defense was a positive. The offense just keeps them on the field too much. Absolutely. John Suggs, Joe Judge is coming. He's coming. Oh, yeah, we will. Best player available pick. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, He is similar to McCaffrey. Always hurt. Lots of money. I don't know if he's another Todd Gurley. We'll have to wait and see. Again, he's only entering his fifth year in the NFL. I still think he's one of the best backs in the league. I think it takes a while to recover from a torn ACL, and he's at a shit offensive line, a real shit offensive line. And Justin Pennick will explain later the analytics of how the offensive line has affected Daniel Jones's performance over his first three seasons. That said, drafting running backs that high is usually a no-no. Look at Jonathan Taylor in the second, Alvin Kamara in the third. True, very true. Yes, I do. LOL. Tommy, drafting Saquon Barkley was possibly a mistake. <laughs> What's I'll up, gents? What's up, Andy? Go check out the Brew Party podcast featuring Andy Hopper. New episodes out every week. He interviewed Caitlin Leaner this week on the Chicago Bears firing Matt Nagy, looking for a new head coach. Tom would lose his mind if the Giants got Bowers. Yep. And McCaffrey got hurt after he got paid exactly, which is why I'm in no rush to pay Saquon Barkley. But there are still some pros to talk about with this game, folks. Our pass defense played very well. Taylor Heineke had only 120 passing yards. He only completed nine passes as well. Scary Terry did have 93 of those 120 receiving yards. That Heineke threw Xavier McKinney and Adoree Jackson Hank, I thought, played very, very well again. And this is one player I want to bring up. Billy Price had an outstanding performance. Since week eight, he is the 12th best center in the NFL, according to PFF. Nine pressures, no sacks, and just one penalty. His pass block efficiency was at 98.5. I think Billy Price saved his career and has potential to come back as a backup utility lineman next season. And I didn't think I didn't didn't think we'd be saying that five, six weeks. Yeah, no, I was going to say we were we were roasting the shit out of him this past season, but definitely noticed a little bit of improvement. Maybe he maybe with the good training camp, he gets a chance to redeem himself in 2022. Yeah, I will tell, but I'm still not going to get my hopes up too high on him because no, of course as i mentioned when i did my 20 minute video on dave gettleman's tenure i <laughs> i included his name in the band-aid department of offensive linemen they off offensive linemen that he acquired right at the end of the uh, preseason absolutely um last pro is one player i want to point out alex bachman was actually in consideration for our Giants player of the week. That's how sad this team is, ladies and gentlemen. Alex Bachman made – we usually do a final three every week 
for our New York Giants player of the week, and Bachman was third. Lorenzo Carter was second. Logan Ryan won for us this week. Bachman was third. Why was Bachman third? 110 all-purpose yards. Four kickoff returns for 94 yards, and he had a sweet little 16-yard punt return. Trying to make a case to potentially be on this roster again next season. And Hank, now we get into the bed. In the final four games, the Giants scored two touchdowns on their final 46 possessions of the season. Awful. Gross. Horrendous. Unwatchable. Gross. Giants parking lot was empty on Sunday. Tickets were going for like five, six bucks. Unacceptable. Um, you want to know the sad part? I woke up that morning and I actually entertained the idea, idea of going to the game. And then, you know how long it took me to say no? Like five seconds. I, I Even I thought that $6 for a Giants game was too expensive. <laughs> because I didn't want to make that drive to New Jersey sitting my ass in the freezing cold just to need, see another shitty performance. or Well, that or I also didn't want to have to take the Seacock a shuffle after going from Grand Central to Penn. 83 net passing yards. This is the first time the Giants had less than 100 net passing yards in back-to-back weeks since 2006. They only logged 177 yards of total offense. And, I mean, what's insane, and this is a big reason why Dave Gettleman had to get fired, folks, oh, retire. Kenny Galladay had no touchdown catches this season. He barely had over 500 receiving yards. Our first-round draft pick, Kadarius Toney, also had no touchdown catches on the season. Now, granted, they both missed some time, but it's yeah. still unacceptable. It's still on it. Once Daniel Jones left the lineup, the Giants' offense was non-existent. It was non-existent. It still existed without Galladay and Tony, but it did not exist without Daniel Jones. That's why the quarterback is the most important position on any football team. I don't know if I want to call it non-existent. I would just say broken broken beyond repair. Well, when Saquon Barkley has 30 rushing yards and Darius Slayton's your leading receiver with 29, to me that's non-existent. But I get where you're coming from. Yeah. Uh, Antonio Gibson ran all over the defense, 146 rushing yards. Giants end the season on a six-game losing streak, longest streak to end the season since 2003. All six of these losses were double-digit losses. The 2003 season, that led to the firing of Jim Fossil. And it was a similar situation because the Giants were without Kerry Collins. Jesse Palmer had taken over for the last few games. In this case, the Giants opened the toolbox of Mike Lennon and Jake Fromm. All due respect to them, Jesse Palmer, I think, was slightly less terrible. That's not really saying much. And... You want to know another way you know that this was a disastrous season? Tell me. Spit they it out. Got, they got swept by the Washington football team. Yeah. This is a team that for years, I you know what I used to say about the Washington football team? Anytime the Giants were in a losing streak, Get right game. Them, them appearing on the schedule would always be the cure to end, to end it. I used to say that every single year. Even last year. Even yeah, last even in, year. Even last year, and they even, made the playoffs, and we beat them twice. Even 2017, we had a win against them. Yeah, this year you could, we didn't even beat them once. Should have beaten the first game, but we're not going to get into that. But yeah, that's that's how you know it's a disaster. And yeah. ironically, the last time that happened, 
them getting swept by the football team happened the year we last won a Super Bowl. It's a shame. It's atrocious. I, I don't even know what to say. Uh, one and five in the NFC East. Joe Judge made a record of Giants history he did not want to be a part of. More losses in a single season than any other Giants coach. Ali Sherman lost 12 games as head coach back in 1966. That team went 1-12-1, and one, by the way, for the record. Not a single viewer right now was alive when that happened. I guarantee it. I don't think anybody here was alive in 1966. I could be wrong. I was thinking of 30. Key takeaways, key takeaways from the season. This is where we get into Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge, ladies and gentlemen. The Giants, 22-59 and records since 2017, tied for the worst in the NFL. Uh, Giants have cleaned house. Dave Gettleman retired on Monday. Joe Judge was canned on Tuesday after meeting with ownership three times. Now, it made sense for Gettleman to go. He had to go. He was outdated. We saw this coming. He was forced into retirement. I did not see the Joe Judge firing coming. Um, the media hated this man the second he walked in the door. Uh, I think it made sense to fire Joe Judge from an organizational standpoint. As where you're heading in a different direction, you want the GM and the head coach to be on the same timeline. And you want to get it right. You don't want to force Joe Judge be on the next uh, on the next GM, but I think Joe Judge deserved the third year. It was reported by Jason Lock and Fora that Joe Judge wanted to fire Jason Garrett in January of this past offseason, twenty twenty one January. Mm-hmm. wasn't able to do it. He was forced upon him. Never got to pick his offensive coordinator. Did not get to pick his offensive line coach. When we saw Dave DeGuglielmo get hired last year, the offensive line looked a lot better. When he hired Rob Sale, the offensive line looked a lot better. And Dave Gettleman was having to trade for guys off the street like Billy Price and Ben Bredesen. And he signed Matt Sciarra as well. And those guys looked like competent linemen because of the hiring that Joe Judge made of Rob Sale. Joe Judge also hired Patrick Graham. He hired Brett Bielema, who took the Illinois job. The guys that Joe Judge hired influenced the organization in a positive way. Of course, I think Joe Judge deserves a third year. And I'm going to stand my ground. A lot of people may disagree with me. However, at the end of the day, I respect the Giants' decision. And I will support the Giants' decision to fire Joe Judge. But I won't agree with it. I won't agree with it because I'm looking. It makes sense to get a new GM, but I'm looking at all the head coaches on the market right now. Who could possibly be better than Joe Judge? Who could possibly be better? I mean, you could argue Brian Flores. You could make an argument for Mike Zimmer. I mean, those are really the only two guys. Uh, I don't want Doug Peterson. I don't, I don't want Jim Harbaugh. I'd have a stroke if Jim Harbaugh is the next Giants head coach. Joe Judge should have not been fired. But he is, and... It is what it is, Hank. You got you to move on. Uh, but, yeah, explain just – I get it. The, the quarterback sneak shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have happened that way. But I understand why he did it. I understand why he did it. It's not easy to defend. It looks really bad. It does look really, really bad on Joe Judge. That play call comes right from the head coach, Joe Judge. I understand it. But 
Joe Judge saved Dave Gettleman's job by one year. By one year. You know, in retrospect, I low-key think that 2020 season was kind of kind of the wor- wor- the worst thing that could have happened to the Giants in 2020 was finishing one game behind out of first place despite finishing six six and ten. Why do I say that? Because it tricked it fooled a lot of people, maybe the front office, into thinking maybe we can keep our general manager around for another year. When the reality of the situation of that 2020 season is, you know, that team did not have a great roster. I mean, mm-hmm. look, you signed some good free agents, don't get me wrong. I mean, Blake Martinez and James Bradbury were productive and that was by far Dave Gettleman's best draft. Not that that really says much, but I'll give them that. But at the end of the day, you know, the only reason they were even close to a playoff spot was because of the division. And let's take a look at those wins. Other than the Seattle, than the win in Seattle, how many of them were against quality opponents? And I'm not counting the Washington football team as a quality opponent. That was a team that won the division seven and nine. I'm sorry. Washington football team twice should have swept Philadelphia, but then you also want to close. Game Dallas. I'll give him that. Since Dallas Cowboys were in the same position as the Giants were. Since Seattle. You're right. Since we would, we would have lost that Cincinnati game. If Joe, if Joe Burrow had started, because remember you're right. They almost choked that game away. You're right. I like this comment from Noah. Um, actually, a lot of people I've talked to on the side, there's a lot of people that thought Joe Judge should have been retained for a third year. They're just very not vocal about it because mm-hmm. of the hate that's coming out for this guy, that the media has portrayed on him. And that's the, the next topic point, Hank. Yes, Joe Judge was 10-23 and 23 in his two-year tenure after two seasons, but he walked in the door. He was hated because he was a nobody. And it was a pure Bill Belichick connection, organizational connection with John Mara. Nobody knew who he was. He was saddled with one of the worst GMs in recent history and Dave Gettleman. He got fired primarily because they lost their final six games without a quarterback. That's when things started to really fall apart because they were four and seven within striking distance. The schedule was starting to get easier. When Joe Judge first got his job, ladies and gentlemen, January 2020 he was quickly forced into a virtual world two months later had to create a foundation digitally people were already losing faith in dave gettleman when joe judge was hired yet dave gettleman gets to walk off into the sunset in retirement and joe judge is the one that is the scapegoat and gets fired and i'm i'm gonna get a little heated right now by the time the season ended and again there, there's never good excuses to define losing in the NFL. Dave Gettleman's roster building compounded with bad contracts and injuries at key positions this season. It, it just wasn't it wasn't fair. By the end of the season, the Giants had the most injuries in all of football. In all of football. They led the NFL in games missed due to injury. The presence of Jason Garrett, I mentioned, was forced upon Joe Judge, led to his termination. He inherited the injury-prone Saquon Barkley that Tommy Mack was referring to before, underperforming Daniel Jones. Whether we like it or not, whether we think it's Jones' fault that he's underperforming, he was underperforming. One of the worst offensive lines ever assembled. 
the root of the issue is not Joe Judge. It's not even Dave Gettleman. It's the Giants organization since Tom Coughlin resigned in 2015 at the end of the 2015 season. The Giants have gone six to seven years now with three coaches that have each only lasted two years. By the way, Joe Judge was the best by far out of those three that we had, by far, even though the records are not far off from one another. For Joe Judge to shoulder majority of the blame is not only unfair, guys, but you're being dishonest with yourself. You're being dishonest with yourself if you think Joe Judge should shoulder majority of this blame. He couldn't save the the sinking ship that was already sinking when he took the job. Obviously, it's what he signed up for to save that sinking ship. But he didn't drown the organization. He didn't drown it. Apparently, John Mara wanted to keep Joe Judge even after the two quarterback sneaks. It was Steve Tisch. It was Steve Tisch that forced this firing upon John Mara. And that's why it took an extra day. And look at the aftermath at what's happened. We already knew Rob Sale, the O-line coach, was leaving to become offensive coordinator at Florida. College scouting director Chad Clunder headed to Duke. Sean Spencer, referred to as Coach Chaos, also headed to Duke to be their co-defensive coordinator. Patrick Graham is likely not coming back. This is what happens when you fire your head coach. You lose the rest of your coaching staff and you start over. I don't care who the new GM is and, knew that, and who the new head coach is. There's very little chance the Giants make the playoffs again. Or, I'm sorry, there's very little chance the Giants make the playoffs next year because Joe Judge is not the head coach. The foundation has to start over, guys. I didn't want that to happen. I did not want that to happen. And, Hank, again, Dave Gettleman's timeline that we put together. Mm-hmm. You did a video on him. Yes, he was a great scout for the Bills and the Broncos back in the 80s, 70s, 80s. Five, five Super Bowl appearances with one Super Bowl win. Yep. He joined the Giants in 1998 as a scout, promoted to the director player of personnel, made three Super Bowls and won two of them. So he was good at evaluating talent, and that's why he was brought in as GM, ladies and gentlemen. My issue with Dave Gettleman and the idea of hiring Dave Gettleman, I was never really on board of hiring Dave Gettleman to begin with. I wasn't like super loud about it. I, I'm not like, I'm not saying I was like bashing the Giants for hiring Dave Gettleman, but it wasn't a move that I was super enthusiastic about. And let me tell you why, because it was another example of ownership going in house and using an old dog to try to adapt to new tricks. More often than not, that doesn't work out. To me, it just seemed like the game had passed Dave Gettleman by. And I think that was painfully obvious over the course of the four years. And when I, I'm sure you're going to talk about this in a bit, but when I look at Dave Gettleman's tenure, the thing that really just gets me the most out of all his failures aren't the, isn't, aren't necessarily the moves that everyone talks about, like say, over, overpaying for Nate Solder, over, uh, drafting Saquon at number two when you probably yeah. should have focused on an offensive lineman yeah. or maybe even waited to take a running back until Nick Chubb was available in the second round. My biggest problem, the, the thing that just galls me about it, about Gettleman, look at his draft in 2019. A good fraction of those players Off the team. are not on the team anymore. 
other than the first round, you can argue that Daniel Jones was a reach, and I'll give you that argument in all likelihood, but at least, you know, at least he's still on the team. At least he still has maybe a sliver of a chance to still be the franchise quarterback. But at the same time, if we're still having this debate by like the end of the year, that's kind of a problem. And Dexter Lawrence, I'll give him that. But after that, you had one pick who ended up having legal problems, so they had to cut him. You had another guy who's already on his third team. And you had another pick who got injured after the fourth game. And then in training camp, you you just straight up released him. That's a waste. And I'll even say that you could even make the case that Darius Slayton was a top. Darius Slayton may have been the best pick that he made based on the fact that he's not draft. Yeah. He was picked later on and he had a productive season. Now he had similar numbers, receiving yards, his rookie year and his second year, but it was the touchdowns that declined. Right. The third year he dropped off significantly, but I still say that's one of his redeeming picks because at least Darius Slayton stole on the team. You know, say it is crucial for the new coach and management to hit on these two top 10 picks. I mean, that's an easy answer. Uh, Yeah. Noah says draft Neil and Linderbaum. If Neil's available at five, you're taking him. I think Linderbaum should be available at seven. That's never a guarantee, though. So I think if the Giants go a certain route, they're definitely taking Linderbaum. Uh, But it'll be interesting to see what happens and no i appreciate uh your support on me here i I know you 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 may not entirely agree with me but just who i am i stick to my guns gettleman is an embarrassment to gms everywhere he's so embarrassing i don't even care his name got auto corrected guy thought cam newton was a good quarterback and had 115 and one fluke season rest was bang average or worse most of the time he's right there he didn't he's right cam newton but yeah he's right and are the Giants better or worse before Dave Gettleman coming here? That's an insulting of question. Of course they're worse. Of course. I mean, all right, 2018, 5 and 11, right? The draft of Barkley, the signing of Solder. All right, 2019, they traded away Vernon and Odell. That was good. They got Jabril Peppers and Kevin Zeitler in return, along with a first and third round draft pick. I believe they used those draft picks on Dexter Lawrence and O'Shane Zimenez. Yes. Gettleman extends Odell before paying him, lies to the media saying you don't uh, pay a player to trade him. Um, That was a mistake. Ryan Connolly was promising, but tore his ACL and was cut the 2020 uh, 2020 preseason. 2019, the Giants were 4-12. and They fired Pat Shermer. The biggest mistake was the Giants didn't fire Dave Gettleman with Pat Shermer. They kept him, and they hired Joe Judge. Better offseason, though, for D.G., He signed James Bradbury and Blake Martinez, both the three-year, $30 million deals. They added Kyler Fackrell. They brought in other solid pieces as well. They drafted Andrew Thomas and Xavier McKinney, who was a first-round talent that year. Uh, Darnay Holmes, solid slot corner. Shane Lemieux has promised Carter Coughlin and Cam Brown, promising young guys, and Tay Crowder, who was our best linebacker this season. Started 1-7, and finished 5-3, and 6-10, and just missed the playoffs. They bring him back. He completely does a 180. Galladay, four years, 72 million. Rudolph, two years, 12 million. Booker, two for six. Odori Jackson, three for 39. He let Zeitler and Tomlinson go. He drafted Ojolari and Aaron Robinson, which was good. They took a flyer on Kadarius Tony. They should have took the sure thing and went with Rashawn Slater at number 11. 
would have helped out the offensive line. Uh, traded for Billy Price, Ben Bredesen, and Matt Scarra. That tells you something. The Giants fucked up the draft. They didn't draft an offensive lineman. Andrew Thomas missed time. Nick Gates tore his ACL in week two. Shane Lemieux, week two, partially torn patellar tendon. Four and 13 last in the NFC East. Judge fired. Gettleman forced to retire. Ridiculous. Worse, they had to release Zeitler because of cap issues when O-line is a problem, among other problems. Yeah, they saved $12 million without eating up any dead money, which I guess made sense, Tom, but I feel like you could have extended Zeitler to have less of a cap hit on him and then just release other players like Nate Solder, players like that. But it is what it is, man. It is what it is. Uh, now, Hank, obviously the Giants, John Mara held a press conference yesterday. Uh, mentioned that the GM pick needs to be done correctly. He needs to regain fans' trust. He mentioned this is the lowest of lows he's ever dealt with as you know the Giants owner and team president. No package it's deals. An early, it's an eerily similar position to one that his father had faced about 42 years ago. Yeah. He mentioned this hiring process will be a little more extensive, taking their time a little bit more. The Giants have already completed four general manager interviews as of today. They interviewed Joe Shane, Bill's assistant GM, who is currently the favorite, 20th year in the NFL, fifth with the Buffalo Bills, also spent time with the Miami Dolphins, has both college and pro scouting level experience, spent seven seasons with the Panthers as well on their current Bills GM, Brandon Bean. Giants and Joe Schoen have also been talking for a couple of months, so he is definitely the front runner. In addition, Adrian Wilson, former Arizona Cardinal, was interviewed yesterday, promoted to the Cardinals VP of Pro Personnel in 2021. He could be another good option. Uh, Previously uh, played a part in their director of pro scouting, helped the Cardinals draft a couple of good linebackers, which is something the Giants could use. He went out, he got Isaiah Simmons for them. He got Zayvon Collins for them. Today, the Giants interview another Cardinals guy, VP of player personnel, Quentin Harris, 14-year member of their scouting department, got promoted to vice president of player personnel last February, joined the Cardinals as a pro scout in 2008. He's been there and moved up the chain ever since. He also briefly played for the Giants. If you remember, he was part of the roster in the 2006 training camp and did not make the final cut. So he did spend some time with the Giants, not much. but And then the fourth candidate that they've interviewed so far, Ryan Poles from the Kansas City Chiefs. He is their executive director of player personnel, first season in that role, joined the Chiefs in 09 as the team's player personnel assistant, ladies and gentlemen. In 2013, he began a four-year stint as a college scouting administrator. He is also a New York native who was an offensive lineman for Matt Ryan while at Boston College. Fun fact. So do any of these four names intrigue you so far to me? Obviously, Joe Shane is the guy that I want as the next Giants GM. Yeah, Joe Shane sounds like a really good option. It's been there for a long time, and it seemed to me he's had a hand in helping turn around the Bills into where they are now, a possible Super Bowl contender. And hopefully this all translates to the Giants. And look, it 
it's going to be refresh regardless of who they hire. It's going to be refreshing to see them go out of house and somebody from elsewhere instead of the usual suspects like the Kevin Abramses and the and the Ernie and the the Jerry Reeses. Like not not saying, I mean, I know Jerry Reese had mostly a bad tenure, but I'm not saying yeah. those are like bad guys. But like, huh. it's I don't know when you're when you're cleaning house, it's it's probably a better idea. A general thumb would be to like maybe go out of house, think outside the box, because sometimes when you get stuck in your old ways it comes back to haunt them. And look, history has shown that's happened twice to the giants. We are ancient dinosaurs. That's what we are (laughs) tomorrow. The giants have two more candidates lined up, both from the Tennessee Titans, which by the way, love the teams. The giants are picking their candidates from teams that have built winning cultures with their organizations, Mm -hmm. bills, Cardinals, chiefs, Titans, Baltimore Ravens tomorrow. The Giants will interview Ryan Cowden. He is the Titans' VP of player personnel. And Monty Ossenford, Titans' director of player personnel. A lot of people who supported Joe Judge, like myself, would have been pulling for Monty because the Giants likely would have kept Joe Judge if they hired Monty. But it's still interesting that he's a candidate, even though Joe Judge has been fired. They do have ties back to their New England days. And it's interesting because before tonight's show started, David Culley was fired from the Houston Texans after one season who's their GM? Former Patriot front office guy Nick Casario could possibly be looking at Joe Judge, could possibly be looking at Brian Flores. It'll be interesting to see if Joe Judge gets another head coaching opportunity. And, Hank, do you think Joe Judge deserves another head coaching opportunity one day? I say yes. I am going to agree with you because let me give my little perspective on the Joe Judge firing because – my my belief is a little bit different from yours. Like, I'm not saying I completely disagree with you. I think in all likelihood, it probably was for the best, just for the sheer fact that if the if Mara and Tish were going to hire a GM, I'm pretty sure 95% of the smart GMs that they would want to hire, I think they want to hire their own guy. So I totally get that. And in all likelihood, History could show that it very well could end up being the right decision. However, with that being said, let's not act like Joe Judge didn't get screwed because he absolutely got put in one of the worst situations possible. Now, I'm not saying he helped out himself with some of his press conferences or some of his play calling that happened this season. But at the same time, I think regardless of what would have happened, somebody would have been in an unfair situation. Like the GM would have had an unfair situation, meaning that he would have hired a coach that don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he didn't get screwed, but having a coach who had a lifetime record of 10 and 23 without any improvement would have been a massive leap of faith. I do want to acknowledge that too. And remember this. Yes. The giants have also had seasons where they have had lame duck coaches and then been successful, but Look at how many times that hasn't worked out. Right. Pat Shermer, Ray Handley, Dan Reeves. I'll count Dan Reeves in that list. So I think they would have taken a very big leap of faith. And, you know, another thing, I think maybe it might be for the best for Joe Judge's personal life that he's out of the picture because look, look at it this way. If you thought he was dealing with a lot of stuff from the media this year due to things out of his control, Look what he would have had to deal with next year with his hot seat being on absolute fire. Yeah. 
So TMZ following think, him to his house. I think maybe if I'm Joe judge low key, I might be relieved that I won't have to deal with this anymore next season. And you know, I can, if he goes to a team like say the Houston Texans, you know, that's a team that's trying to rebuild. Nick Casario doesn't seem as, I don't want to say incompetent because at least Dave Gettleman has had a track record in the past of success, yeah, but yeah. more of like somebody along the lines of a guy who is in touch with the times. Right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there's a chance, but then again, maybe, maybe he doesn't learn. Who knows? Time will tell, but yeah. I think, I think maybe he will get a second chance, but I'm just saying I totally understand. And I think it probably was for the best. I understand it. And having two days yeah. to think about it, I'm starting to come around to it that maybe it was the right move long term, but I still don't agree with it. I personally would have. And that's, them. that's just my that's opinion. Totally Everybody has, you know, the right to their own opinion. Uh, I do want to say that Joe Judge just released a statement, ladies and gentlemen, first public statement since being fired as head coach of the New York Giants. And I'm going to read it to you right now. Mm hmm. As I reflect on my tenure, this was reported by NorthJersey.com, Art Stapleton, by the way. As I reflect on my tenure with the Giants, I want to express how truly grateful I am for the opportunity to be the head coach of the New York Giants. Thank you to the Mara and Tish families, to the organization, and incredible families to the organization, support staff, and to the fans, proud, loyal fans who rival any fan base in sports with their passion and devotion. It was a privilege to represent these people during these past two seasons. Thank you for showing up week in and week out to support our team. I also want to express my appreciation to the coaching staff, the long nights they put in to help out the players be successful, including early mornings. Their work is often behind the scenes, but the dedication and love they invest into these players and team is the foundation for anything that happens on the field. I am proud to have worked with the group of men we had and grateful for each and every one of them. Finally, to the players, both present and former, thank you. To the alumni players who helped invest in our program, thank you for believing in and helping develop these young men. You set the Giants standard, and you continue to lead the way. To the current Giants players, thank you most of all. When I became head coach, I said that we would ask you to come and give everything you had every day, and you did. I am so proud of you, grateful for you, and I believe in you. On behalf of me and my family, we leave New York with the utmost gratitude for the community, the organization, the people, and the team. Thank you. Those were the words of Joe Judge, and I just want to add to that quickly. Joe Judge, once a giant, always a giant. It may have not been pretty, but I made a little Twitter post on our Big Blue Avenue account yesterday saying this. I said... Uh, pulling it up right now. It didn't end the way I had thought, but thank you to Joe Judge for the amount of effort and dedication put into this football team. Appreciate Judge's hard work and wish him nothing but a successful career. Deserves another shot. And if you didn't think the players loved him, just look at this photo from the, I know it's hard to see. I'm going to have to show it to you on an angle from the 2020 training camp. Players love this man. They really wanted him to have success here. And just teaching the players the fundamentals and everything. I, I, I just want to thank Joe Judge a lot. He's the best coach we've had since Tom Coughlin. Unfortunately, his tenure did not vet last very long, Hank. No. It again, I think it was a combination of bad luck and probably I would say bad timing. I I still think I still think he has potential, but 
I guess with the Giants, it just really wasn't meant to be. And again, I think as bad as some of his decisions were, and make no mistake, I've been on record for criticizing several of things that he's done, particularly the game against Miami and particularly the the QB snake. However, with that being said, I think he also, it's also important to consider the fact that he had the misfortune of having Dave Gettleman as his GM. And also the fact that you had an ownership is pretty metal, meddlesome too. So again, it's again, like I said, I think at the end of the day, are the Giants making the right decision? I'm gonna lean towards yes, but at I the hope same so. time, I'm leaning towards yes, but it's okay. But if you're saying the Giants have made the right decision, it is also okay to say that Joe Judge got screwed. Both are true facts. Possibly the first one. I agree, Hank. Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna miss him. I I don't know I don't know about you, but I'm personally gonna miss him on a personal level. He reminded me a lot of Tom Coughlin and the ethics that he brought to the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he he showed a lot of promise, and you know, I, I just couldn't thank him enough for everything. And it's interesting to see who this next head coach is going to be. We can't really predict that until the next general manager has been named, but just the preview folks, our next segment, it's going to be an interview with Justin Pennick of talking giants. Before we get there, just want to preview next week. We will go over the season recap. We'll talk about all the games, our high and low point of 2020 season takeaways. We will reveal our top 10 players go over the 2022 schedule as well. So that should be a lot of fun. Hank, any final thoughts here before we end the show off with this lovely interview? Listen, I think it may have been under some pretty bad circumstances, but I'm glad to see the Giants are finally making the effort to clean up the mess. Whether they write the ship or not, time will tell, but I've got my fingers crossed that at the end, after finally deciding to go out of the box and letting that smart GM get his own coach, I'd like to think that hopefully they'll get back. Again, I'm not going to say being a Super Bowl contender, just being watchable and just being a team that I can be proud to enjoy every Sunday because that, more than anything else, is what I miss the most, just waking up and being like, oh, I can't wait to watch the Giants. This season, I didn't really feel that at all. And it certainly... And having a good hockey team on the side, that pretty much doesn't really help either for wanting to be excited for the Giants. (laughs) Yep. At the end of the day, it is what it is. Um, Appreciate everybody. And now we're going to show our segment with Justin Pennick from Talking Giants. We hope you all enjoy it, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to be a dandy. Uh, Make sure to stay tuned for that. He brings in a lot of great insight. I'm going to pull it up. Right now, ladies and gentlemen, we will be back later on. Showcast Justin Pennick from Talking Giants. Justin, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to join us. How are you? What a time. What a time. It's kind of hectic. Uh, I started full time with uh, Talking Giants and John Boy Media in July, and I've and I 
said to myself, this is the first week where it actually does feel like work because it's so much movement. It's so much happening at one time. You know, the firing of judge was unexpected. All these GM candidates, all these fun, exciting GM candidates that are coming in and it's like, oh, we don't know who these guys are, but we're going to do research on them. So it's a hectic time, but it's also an exciting time to be a Giants fan. So I'm happy to hop on with you guys. Uh, you Hank and uh, Sam do an awesome job. You have an awesome show. I watched when you had snacks on during the during the regular season, my buddy snacks. So happy to be here. Let's talk some Giants. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Big fan of your content as well on Talking Giants. Can you just prelude that a little bit for us, how you got started up with Bobby? Yeah, so in 2018, I started my own show called Bleeding Blue, which I eventually rebranded into a Giants history show. But 2018-2019, Bleeding Blue was like my everyday Giants show. I did that with David Powis. And when Bobby started his podcast, you know, Talking Giants, and he joined up with John Boy Media, I was always a John Boy Media fan. I actually started my podcast because I was inspired by what Talking Yanks and John Boy and Jake were doing. So it's funny how it all worked out now with the company. But I was good friends with Bobby, and we kind of were just friends throughout the 2019 season when he started his own thing. And without me knowing, I guess he was kind of scouting me up a little bit, seeing, uh, you know, wanting, wanting to add another co-host. And lo and behold, it's beginning of 2020, I joined up with him. And I think we've, uh, we've kind of taken over since, especially on the podcast side and on the YouTube side of things, too, where, we, where we've gotten versatile in that regard. So that's that's the... Short story of that origin story. That Bleeding Blue podcast with snacks. I know mm-hmm. with the off season coming up, do you guys have anything fun in store for the fans and the viewers? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the first things that's fun that's coming on February 21st is an interview with Joe Morris. Ooh. So that interview was already recorded, and we recorded it at the Meadowlands Tire in, uh, in East Rutherford on a, on a $30 karaoke microphone and my iPhone. <laughs> Uh, we recorded that, but I think it sounds good and it looks good. So that'll that'll be a lot of fun on February 21st. So already have a player interview recorded. The first episode is going to be January 31st with snacks. And we're going to try and do everything in person this offseason. So it'll be an extra element of, I feel like, intentionality with the two co-hosts being together. That We're going to be talking about the 2000 NFC Championship game. And then pretty much every single Monday from there, you'll have an episode from us, whether it's, uh, you know, just – kind of BSing about a game recap or it's a player interview. Uh, we're going to interview LPG, a Giants figure interview. Uh, every Monday, uh, we're going to be bringing you some Giants history chat. So if you want to relive the glory days, since right now it's not looking too good, um, come hang out with Bleeding Blue every Monday. Talking Giants YouTube channel. It's also on the podcast app too. Absolutely. These guys do a great job, folks, if you're watching. and uh, LPG, we've had them on before. Great guest. Keyword nine. That's that's the key. Nine, nine. Yes. What's going through your mind Sunday as you're sitting there watching the Giants miraculously piece together another abysmal performance? It was the first game probably ever where I just I barely paid attention to the game itself, partially because I knew that I didn't have to record a game recap after the game, but also just knowing how insignificant it was and when the Giants line up for that QB sneak now if I'm home and I'm watching it with some friends maybe I have a different reaction but I'm just sitting there with my arm with my arm around the empty seat that's next to me because you know we all could spread out there was nobody there my arms around the empty seat I'm leaning back and I see that QB sneak happen and I'm like 
all right, well, <laughs> whatever. You know, it's it's like we, we know the bad play calls are going to come. We know the punts are going to come on a fourth and short. We know the field goals are going to come on the fourth and short. It's just, all right, well, when is it going to happen? And, you know, we the, the emotion behind it was, I feel, early in the season, then even in 2020 as well, if you were frustrated with this offense. And now this year, I feel a lot of us were just numb to it. And that's what that kind of that week 18 game was where it's like, well, what is this guy doing? But was anybody shocked? Was any, you know, talk Joe judge in the offense, you know, what, what are they doing? But is anybody shocked? No. So really it was, it's just a kind of a state of just laissez faire of just whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And, you know, uh, unexpected that judge was fired. And that's why I also didn't get too emotional about it. Cause I said, all right, this guy's going to be here and hopefully we just get into offense coordinator. But now there's a little bit new of a, of a, of a fresh, a fresh breath of air that they are, that they did wipe the slate clean. So excited right. about that. Uh, and I'll be very transparent. Um, I'm a pro Joe judge guy. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to defend the QB sneak call. I think did Joe judge deserve to be fired in my opinion? No, but do mm-hmm. I support the decision and respect the decision? Absolutely. I feel like a lot of people, I feel like a lot of people, the media hated this guy the second he walked yeah. in, in the door. He got a lot of hate and NFL, not for long, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's how it stands. And Joe Judge, I think, tried to be that disciplinarian guy. And when you're not winning games, right. that doesn't work long term. It only works when you're winning games, especially in this modern day NFL. So I guess, Justin, I wanted, I wanted to get your thoughts on the Joe Judge firing. Did he deserve more time? Or was this the right decision to clean house? Yeah, two things can be true at the same time. One, Joe Judge got a very, very raw deal. Mm-hmm. A very, very raw deal. And it, that comes from Dave Gettleman still being here and being attached to Dave Gettleman and the mistakes that were made in 2018 and 2019, which the Giants admitted, by the way. Like yeah. John Mara, you know, at the start of 2020 when they hired Joe Judge, they said, we made some miscalculations in 2018 and 2019, but we're going to keep this guy around anyway. And then we're going to pair him with the head coach. who We're going to hold over the flame for, for two years, you know? So he does get a raw deal. And also, it, it, we do have it confirmed that Jason Garrett was forced upon him. Especially, I don't necessarily have a problem with John Mayer recommending to Joe Judge that, hey, Jason Garrett, offensive coordinator, I like this guy. You should look into him. I do have a problem with it has been kind of confirmed. We have our own backdoor, but then also Jason LaConfora confirmed that Joe Judge wanted Jason Garrett gone January of last year. So at the beginning of last offseason and the fact that they didn't pull the trigger then, I think that automatically also set Joe Judge up for failure. Because you have this scenario where if Jason Garrett's fired at the beginning of last offseason, Joe Judge can bring in his own coordinator, which we've seen typically when Joe Judge brings in his own people that they have success. You, know, we've, you saw Gouge, you know, uh, Guglielmo, the offensive line coach last year after Columbo, which was not a judge tie. You saw Andrew Thomas turn around. Rob Sale this year, he kept somehow that offensive line kept somewhat afloat, even though they were really bad, yeah. somewhat afloat despite, you know, uh, a really, really bad talent and really bad talent around them. And Andrew Thomas got better, obviously. Patrick Graham's another example. But if the offensive coordinator – can be a Joe Judge guy in the year 2021, and they still stink, then there's no question and there's no doubt that Joe Judge should be fired. Instead, there's this doubt where John Mara meddling, he's probably saying to himself, 
man, this guy does deserve another shot because I really screwed him with the offense coordinator thing. And also we screwed him with Dave Gettleman. So that's true that he got a raw deal. But also the second thing that is true, and John Mayer, I think, acknowledged this during the press conference, this was just necessary to, to get the head coach and the GM on the same cycle and more importantly, just to let the GM pick who he wants his coach to be and not have Joe Judge kind of looming and staying in the building, that is the most important thing. And unfortunately, Joe Judge was like the just the sacrificial lamb that had to go. Were there certain things that he deserved to be fired for? Yes, especially because this is an offensive league and his offense didn't score points. But right. also, he did get a raw deal. And multiple things can be true at the same time. But this 100% was the right decision to get the GM to choose his head coach and to get them back on cycle. I agree with you 100%, um, maybe about 99.8% because I I really, really thought Joe Judge deserved the third year where he could pick his own offensive coordinator. And hearing that coming from you, that he wanted Garrett gone the last offseason, it makes a lot of sense. But I think I'm a very patient guy. I'd rather set myself up for success for a decade down the line rather than win right now. I think a lot of the new school Giants fans want to win right this very second right obviously i want to win every game i never want to tank but it is nice to have draft picks number five and seven and with that that's a lot of leverage john Merrick could use in addition with this new gm that comes in to pick his own head coach and have those two top draft picks yeah i think it gives giants fans a lot of promise heading into 2022 because it's kind of like a fresh start that was needed but fortunately joe judge you know, was just part of the victim. I do think, though, that he does deserve another head coaching job in the future. Absolutely. Uh, You know, I I know before we went live, the Texans just fired Dave Culley. There's a connection there with Casario. So that could be an option. I don't know if it happens this year. Maybe he stays out of football for a year. Who knows? I don't think he will because he's Joe Judge. I hope he goes to college. I mean, the, the job that he had lined up, which he should have taken, the job that he had lined up, uh, before the Giants job was the Mississippi State. He was going to be yeah. the head coach for Mississippi State in college. So I hope he, he he goes somewhere in college. I can I can see this kind of rah-rah message. You know, res- First of all, it's not that it didn't hit the Giants. That The national media was the one that's like, oh, NFL players aren't going to – aren't really going to get this rah-rah message. Yeah. The 2020 Giants, like that was a real season. That was real hype, and that was real promise that mm-hmm. we thought that this team has. I don't want to diminish that and don't want to act like that wasn't the case. And that's why Joe Judge, out of all these head coaches that we've had since Coughlin, Joe Judge is my favorite. Even though Shermer did have a better offense, Joe Judge is 100% my favorite, and I will remember him the most fondly since Tom Coughlin. So I really am rooting for him, really hope he goes down to yeah. college, and you know he that message can probably resonate a little bit better with them. But it's not that it didn't work in the NFL. It's just that, like you said to start, when you're not winning games, nothing's going to work. So. Right. Yeah, and not to double down here on Joe Judge, but do you think he could have done anything differently to save his job? I know you talked about he was given a raw deal. Is there yeah. anything that you think he should have done differently down the stretch? Because it seems like he was going to stay until these last six games took place. They didn't know how to operate without Daniel Jones. They weren't operating that great with Daniel Jones to begin with. Right. But without him, they were just a deer in the headlights. And it's so unfortunate because I think if Daniel Jones is here and we saw more of that Eagles game, 
where, you know, they didn't score all the points in the world. Didn't they? They might have had a defensive touchdown in that game, too. But they, they forced a couple turnovers in that Eagles game regardless. And there was yards after the catch, and that was the one game that Daniel Jones got in, like, the Freddie Kitchens play-calling era or part of, you know, this season, 2022. And you saw yards. Yards after the catch was the main thing for Freddie Kitchens, and that was, like, not a thing under Jason Garrett. Like it was literally bottom of the bottom of the barrel, bottom of the league. And Freddie Kitchens was more aggressive, even with Jake Fromm and uh, Mike Glennon, just from a schematic standpoint of calling more deep concepts. Doesn't mean that they were throwing the ball more, but the thinking is if you call those deep concepts, you run those underneath routes it maybe can open up things underneath because you're pulling the safeties out of the box. But really you know, they just didn't know how to operate without Daniel Jones. And I think that was, you know, one of the one of the straws that broke the camel's back. It's just so many uncompetitive games. There's a difference between losing games like we were and then what this season, what this last quarter of the season was, where it's just every game. We're 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 wondering, not that if we're gonna be in the football game, we're wondering, are the Giants even gonna score one offensive touchdown? Like that was a question. Are the Giants going to score? One offensive touchdown in this game. And flip a coin, you were right. Some games you were wrong, you were wrong other games. So when you when you're at that point, I don't care what quarterback you have, that's bad. That's bad. And, it, and it's a reflection on players. It's a reflection on you know lack of QB talent without Daniel Jones. But it is also a reflection on coaching, unfortunately. Yeah, and Daniel Jones is a guy that I've supported ever since he's been drafted. Do I like where they picked him? Eh, but you know what? He's the quarterback. You went out and you got your quarterback, and you know it, it, it kind of made the Eli Manning transition a little bit easier, knowing that he was the guy that he was—he's pretty much a clone of him. But they play two very different styles. It's really—I know you're a big anal- analytics guy, and uh, not Joe Judge. Daniel Jones has been very efficient on that deep ball pass this season and last season. So. Um, Obviously, he's the third domino in this equation when we talk about Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman, right? Um, he's the last one standing. I'm prepared for the Giants to move on from him at some point, but I still want him to be the guy. I still think he has potential to be the guy. Am I as confident as I was a few weeks ago? No. For me, it's not his play. For me, it's his injuries, right? Because yeah. your best ability is your availability, and he hasn't been available. He hasn't had one season where he started all 16 games. So Hank wanted me to ask you this question. Does he still have a shot to be the savior or are his days numbered? Do you think his days are definitely numbered? And it's because I, if a new GM comes in here and picks up his fifth year option, there's, uh, I I just don't see a a realistic world where that happens. Where even, even if Dave Gettleman was still the GM, he, he shouldn't pick up his fifth year option. So, you know, I hope he, if he can play well next year and then he earns that franchise tag, right? And then it's like, awesome. Then let's, you, you have that franchise tag and let's get that contract extension working. But like you said, it's every single year he misses games and they're vital games too. It's not yeah. just like in the beginning part of the season. It's his rookie year. He missed it towards the latter part of the year where it's a growth period, right? 2020, there were a couple weeks, you know, think of that Eagle game at home. Think of that Cincinnati Bengal game on the road after the bye, um, which that was the game that he did get hurt in 2020. There was a span of a couple weeks where the Giants' offense was starting to look kind of average, not good. They were starting to look average. 
and I'm doing my, you know, my analytics talk and all the numbers and I'm, and I'm looking at it and I'm compared to the rest of the league. I'm like the giants are average right now. And then boom, he gets hurt and it stunts the growth that he can make in that offense. And then he comes back and he can't move and he can't run. And that's part of his game. And then this year, like, you know, we, we said with Freddie kitchens, Jason Garrett's fired. Boom. He gets hurt the second game or, you know, the first game where Freddie Kitchens is calling the plays and then he doesn't get an opportunity to grow in that kind of offense and we can see what he does. So, you know, comes down to you haven't won games, team doesn't score points, and you're not on the field. It's just really a shame that Daniel Jones has had to starve in this, you know, super old offense that's yeah. – um, older than my 1950s style kitchen in the background. As, as He's also say. gotten a raw deal. You know, we yeah. talked about Joe Judge getting a raw deal. Daniel Jones, I mean, the, the offensive line actually. So there's a, I think there's some fantasy football people that that do this data about help. There's there's a composite score, accumulative score that you can measure help. How a quarterback get helps. How a quarterback gets help, and you can look at it through rushing EPA. Pass block win rate, run block win rate, and all these other things that aren't necessarily quarterback centered. Rushing DVOA is one of them, um, and I think Daniel Jones was the the second second in this category that got the least amount of help in the National Football League. And I think Matt Ryan might have been number one getting the least amount of help. So again, that is also a reality where Daniel Daniel Jones finally you saw what Daniel Jones was finally able to do with a stable left tackle in Andrew Thomas for the first part of the season. And even national media people were saying towards the first four weeks of the season, Daniel Jones was was kind of good. You know, he was PFF's number one quarterback for a graded quarterback for the first quarter of the season too. But then Thomas goes down and just even, even when he comes back, it's just the play really kind of stabilizing it flatlined. And that was the main issue for him this season. And the offense was bound to fail due to injuries at key positions. You lost him. You and you lost your guy Nick Gates, who you guys interviewed. Um, that really sucked. And then mm-hmm. you were left with two incompetent linemen on the right side of the line that stayed healthy the entire season. Well, her name is Nate Solder. Hernandez can't even pick up a stunt. But one thing I want to you're a big an- analytics guy. One thing I read about the offensive line the last eight games of the season, and it was either the last eight games or since week eight. You know, Billy Price had a 98.2 pass block win win rate or pass block of efficiency number. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, this guy just saved his career. We should definitely bring him back as a backup next year for depth. Because when he first came, I hated him. I'm like, he's my least favorite player mm-hmm. on the team. But he started to grow on me. And it's really sad, Justin. He became the second best offensive lineman. That's <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and that really doesn't it really still doesn't doesn't say a whole lot, but yeah, Billy Price is definitely worth you know, especially because being that former first rounder, you know, there's there's talent yeah. probably some some somewhere in there. Yeah. And considering the other linemen that were on the team, he's athletic, he is somewhat strong, so keeping him around as, as center depth, I absolutely have no problem with that. But whether it is Nick Gates, and that's kind of like a hope and price situation. But you want to know what? Because I'm Nick Gates biased, he is going to come back stronger than ever, and he is going to be here. But still, the Giants should be looking for uh, – you really have to think three – at least three new linemen. But if the Giants are in a world – let's just say Linderbaum's not on the table, right, which maybe we can get to him. Yeah. Let's just say Linderbaum's not on the table. Then 
somebody from this year's line is going to have to come back and start. And I would almost rather that be the center spot where he can get kind of help. And, you know, there's not nose tackles aren't always lining right on top of that center spot. I'd almost rather be that center guy. As long as he can get the calls down, then I'll survive with that for a year. But let's get the rest of the line right. If I have to sacrifice one spot. Here's one guy that really intrigues me. He's a free agent. And I think he could be a good starter for us. Mark Lewinsky from the Colts. I think you can get him on a bargain because I, I think we need one stopgap lineman. And I think that could come at the guard position because you don't need great guards to succeed in the National Football League. You need good tackles and a good center, right? The guard position, you can kind of live. All right. Well, you know, I think Mark Lewinsky, if he comes in and solidifies that right guard spot, yeah. you can have Gates and Lemieux compete for the left guard position or center, whatever you want to do there. Then you could draft Linder Bauman. I don't know if you think Evan Neal is a pipe dream at this point if he slides to five, but um, maybe that's the next question. But I know we wanted to dive into Linder Bomb as well. I mean, where is your head at? Like, are both of those players options at five and seven? I'm going to tie in GM here too because that's sure. how good I am. Linder Bomb, camera. Linder Bomb is an option if Adam Peters is the GM of the Giants. And here's why. Linderbaum is very, very athletic. And there, re- there was even a clip that went viral a couple weeks ago of him running down the field and sprinting down the field. And, oh, look at this guy, look at this guy. Now, for offensive linemen, I don't really care how fast you can run. Mm-hmm. So it's great. Like the, high, the highlight-worthy plays of Linderbaum running down the field, they're, they're great. How often is he going to be asked to do that for the, for in the, at the NFL level? I don't know. You know, and when he's asked to do it, and if it's a highlight-worthy play, great, then that'll be good on the Giants. But Linderbaum is very much kind of like an outside zone kind of offensive line because he has the athleticism to get out there in space, to move, to get on the, you know, to get his hat on the other side, the opposite side of his shoulder, and maybe and, and reach for a block. Right, that's the type of lineman that he is. I don't necessarily if know if he can fit. He probably would be fine, but we're talking about this guy's being hyped up as a generational offensive lineman prospect. I think he would be fine in like a typical gap scheme like the Giants run, but a lot better if he's a San Francisco 49er, Minnesota Viking type of player and in that scheme. So if Adam Peters, if we like him and the Giants hire him, then Linderbaum shoots up my board because it's going to fit the scheme that probably Adam Peters will bring in a head coach that kind of fits that Shanahan mold. Maybe, and then if not, looking to target Linderbaum and maybe a trade down. Like Linderbaum would be a perfect guy if we decide to trade down to one of these quarterback needy teams, like the Vikings, like the Broncos that have kind of picks after us. Then I'd be very happy with accumulating some draft spots and then picking up Linderbaum after that. So that's where I'm at with Linderbaum and Neil. Right now, I'm not going to consider anybody a pipe dream. I'm really not. I think it, I right. think it's still way way too early. A story can come out about him smoking weed, and blah, 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 then you know, he, then he then he drops down a couple spots and hey, he's a New York Giant, right? So I'm not going to consider anybody a pipe dream. I'm still yeah. I'm still kind of hoping that hey, Hutchinson, Thibodeau, Neal, any one of these guys, if they can drop down, because um, the Giants right now tackle an edge. That's where my brain is at with these with these both of these first two round both of these first picks. Get me a tackle and get me a premier edge. Since we've seen in the NFL, most of these top-tier edges, edge rushers, have been taken 
in the first round, and they've been kind of bona fide studs from the start. I think regardless of who the new GM is, you want to solidify both sides of the trenches, the O-line and the edge position. That's been the biggest issue on this team for the past decade, you could argue. Um, Now, I know you've been scouting a lot of senior bowl guys. Is there anybody that pops your eye uh, at the moment that you think would be a good fit with the, with the giants? I think offensively, we just spoke about Linderbaum defensively. We know they adjusted to the press man scheme this year under Mm -hmm. Patrick Graham, but we don't know if Graham's going to be retained or not. I kind of doubt he will be at this point, uh, unfortunately, but what's your philosophy there? I'm going to be honest. I really loved Patrick Graham, man. I really loved, loved, loved Patrick Graham. And the ability to not allow the big explosive play, and that was Patrick Graham's biggest strength, is the run defense was, you know, it was, I think it was much better in 2020, where 2021 it was really, really bad. But the ability, and that was Patrick Graham's strength. I believe the Giants were maybe fifth this year in in the least amount of explosive pass plays allowed. And then last year they were fourth and teams like the Tampa Bay Bucks, they're right up there, right up there with the giants in 2020 with not allowing the explosive pass play. And that was a defense that was really, really good. And a defense that kind of drove them, you know, to the Super Bowl along with having Tom Brady. Right. But I love that whether, however you can get it done, not allowing the explosive pass play. And it's done in different ways. Todd Bowles is blitzing a ton and a guy like Vic Vangio and Patrick Graham evolved into this, and Brandon Staley does this too, the two-high system. Yeah. Patrick Graham did a lot of one-high stuff last year, but transforming that into cover three. And this year, he still primarily ran that that zone coverage, but st- but transformed it into two-high from having that single-high safety. So um, if we can get a Vic Vangio in here as defense coordinator, depending on who we bring in as head coach, no, you know what? No matter who we bring in as head coach, they should be going after Vic Fangio because he does have that that too high scheme that prevents the big explosive pass play in the NFL, which is the biggest key. You know, the key to stopping Patrick Mahomes when he was going through his struggles. What was everybody saying? Don't blitz him. Let him hold on to the ball and force him to check it down. And that's what the NFL is. The NFL now is if you run a lot of plays on offense, the least likely you are to score. But if you can produce the big plays you're more likely to put up points. And that's really what defense is. And if we can complete that with some edge rushers that can also get after the quarterback when quarterbacks are holding on to that ball, when the secondary is going to work like they have the last couple of years, that'll really complete the defense. I think another position that was undervalued on the defense this year um, is the zero tech position, the defensive tackle position, mm-hmm. because we lost Dalton Tomlinson. He kept Austin Johnson, which was fine, but clear downgrade. And I think you're looking at players potentially like the Marvin Leal, Jordan Davis out of Georgia. Jordan Davis, I would love to be a giant, by the way. I believe he kind of looks like Alvin Tomlinson as well. But um, that was a big issue this season, right? We couldn't stop the run. And Dave Gettleman, who we're going to jump into now, undid what he did in the 2020 offseason, this past offseason, right? I thought the Giants should have tried their best to retain what they had because if you're if Kevin Abrams is dishing out salary cap money to sign guys like Kyle Rudolph, Mike Lennon, Devontae Booker, John Ross, etc., you could easily dish out money to keep Dalvin Tomlinson. At least that's how I yeah. feel. Um, I would have preferred to do that and then let the free agents come to us, get lower bargain, uh, get higher bargain deals with free agents like what we did with Logan Ryan in 2020 and Gentlemen 
for some reason, refused to do that this offseason, the first day of free agency, they're going to prioritize Devontae Booker for a two-year, $6 million deal. I mean, especially just the, the Kyle Rudolph, man. That's like, dude, you just you just flushed $10 million this offseason down the drain. And so he, we were talking about the run defense and we were talking about Dalvin. Yeah, I don't necessarily think the problem was not getting Dalvin. I think it's just who they chose to replace him with. True. Danny Shelton. There was a period of time where he was on the field towards the beginning part of the season, and then he got hurt for a few weeks. Yeah. So we had a nice little sample size of splits when Danny Shelton was on the field versus Danny Shelton off the field. When Danny Shelton was on the field, and this was during the season, during the middle of the season, haven't updated this fully towards the end of the season. During the season, the Giants were allowing like five and a half, maybe six yards per attempt when Danny Shelton was on the field. When he was off the field, they were allowing 3.7 yards per attempt. That is a drastic difference. That is a difference between you're getting a first down every two plays versus, you know, you're an inefficient running game at 3.7 yards per carry. Because you typically want your running backs averaging four yards or more. So when he was off the field, it was 3.7 yards per carry. So that, I think, was the main problem, that Danny Shelton was just such a bad, bad football player. And that was a signing at the time. Like, this is really good value. This is really good value. He's he's a better player than Austin Johnson, but he's actually being paid less. No, Austin Johnson was clearly a better player. But uh, it's a matter of who they chose to replace Dalvin with. Um, so that's really where I would love, you know, we're talking about the draft a little bit too. I would love if the Giants can this, this offseason, you know, in this draft cycle, they have a very good track record of regardless of who the GM is. They have a very good track record of getting, you know, solid, you know, interior defensive linemen that don't even have to come in the first round, the second, right. third, fourth round. You know, all these guys over the years that have been giants for four years, and then we decide not to extend them. Like, you know, Linville Joseph, uh, Jonathan Hankins, Dalvin Tomlinson, et cetera, et cetera. Cofield, and dating back to Cornelius Griffin, right? Coming off yes. his rookie deal. They didn't retain him either, so he went to Washington. But, yeah, that's, that's the great point. The defensive tackles, they don't stay. They really don't stay. But we are um, detackle you. That's uh, that's what snacks calls uh, that's what <laughs> snacks calls the Giants. We're, we're detackle you, baby. <laughs> very undervalued position once their contracts are up. But mm-hmm. uh, Justin, let's talk about the GM candidates. Obviously, the Giants. They interviewed Joe Shane. They interviewed Adrian Wilson, Quentin Harris, and then a couple of Titans executives are coming up tomorrow. Um, I guess who's who's your front runner right now? Is there anybody in mind uh, as far as who the next GM should be? There's three main front runners. Uh, I think now, obviously, there's some other really good candidates, but I think there's the three that are just most qualified. Qualified are Joe Shane, Adam Peters, and then Joe Ortiz. Joe Ortiz from uh, Baltimore Ravens. I think Joe Shane's going to get it. Uh, I, I do, and this is another. You know, I gave you, I gave you a little source game with uh, talking about Jason Garrett and the and Joe Judge a little earlier. So I'll give you a little source game again. Uh, the Giants and Joe Shane, they've been talking for a couple months. Um, they've been talking for a couple months now, and they've been on each other's radar for for a little bit. So did have his interview, and there are, have been reports. Ian O'Connor has came out and said that he really, he really impressed during the interview. So I do think that he's going to be it. And I also do think that generally he is the most qualified. He's held an assistant general manager spot with the Bills since 2017. Adam Peters has held his assistant GM spot for one year. And then Joe Ortiz is his job. I think he has 
gotten into free agency a little bit, but he's a director of player personnel. But mainly it's about scouting. And I think as we learned from Dave Gettleman, there's more to being a general manager than just scouting, right? There, there's more to it because we called Dave Gettleman oh, yeah, those first couple years. Yeah, he's a good scout. But nothing else is the free agency classes haven't been good. He hasn't been able to trade down yeah. all of these things. And Joe Shane, at least from what I've heard, what I've seen from his his direct quotes that he's given to some Buffalo media, which they they did a hell of a job getting you know, getting some information out on him. But I think Joe Shane's just the most qualified in terms of running a process. Adam Peters is exciting because of the players that he's picked and. He's young, he's innovative, he directly talks about using analytics. I think that's exciting, but I think in terms of we want a guy that's going to run an operation that even includes maybe getting some of these lifers out of this building that yeah. we're really looking looking to get out, I think Joe Shane would be the best candidate to do that. Yeah, I still think you have guys in the building like Chris Pettit, Tim McDonald. Clear problems, right? Yeah, I mean, especially Chris Pettit. I mean, that if you're depending on how you feel about the Barkley pick, and also that process, the process yeah. of picking Barkley too. Chris Pettit was infatuated by Saquon Barkley. Now it's fine to be infatuated with the prospect, right? It's fine to be in love with the prospect, but considering you have to consider value, you have to yeah. consider the value of a you know what you're going to get out of a certain draft pick in a certain draft spot, and certainly. You know, no matter where you are on the Barkley pick, you know, four, four years in, it, it, that value just hasn't been what that number two overall pick should have been. Gettleman was good in moments, but yeah. overall, 19 and 46, right. his methods were outdated. Right, and that's why I think Shane Shane can come in here. You know, this is all prediction. I, you know, I think it's easier to project and look at and analyze possible head coaching candidates. Mm-hmm especially if they've been head coaches before, especially if they have a play calling resume that's attached to them. Right. GMs, it's kind of like we're, we're shooting in the dark and we're going off of what other people say and how these guys talk in clips and how these guys talk in, talk in moments. And <laughs> yeah. you're looking at these draft classes and you're being like, Ooh, well he, you know, a guy like um, you know, the guy from, uh, um, from Kansas city who who's, you know, Ryan Poles take, Poles, for example, yeah. you know, Ryan Poles who started, with, uh, he was the assistant director of player personnel from 2008 to 2020. Ryan Poles was the director of college scouting in 2017. Well, 2017, they took Patrick Mahomes. Was that Poles? Was that Andy Reid? Who knows? No. You know, you're kind of you're kind of just guessing, but you do have to give him some credit, I guess. So it's a big guessing game. But I, you know, overall, I'm going to say it again. I do think Joe Shane is a guy that can run the complete process. Not that Adam Peters can't. But it just seems like Adam Peters, most of his experience is in scouting and evaluation. And that don't get me wrong, that's super important. That is, I think you know, you can make an argument that's the most important part of the job. Yeah. But we did see with Gettleman that Gettleman was that. Gettleman was hired because he was a talent evaluator with the Giants. And he made and he helped influence and make all these good draft picks that helped the Giants win two Super Bowls. But there is still so much more that goes into being a GM that Gettleman failed at. Don't make the same mistake again. Get really that CEO kind of guy in here who can make the good influences with draft decisions, but also getting the right people in here to give him the right information. And one last thing on Gettleman. He also helped out in the Giants getting to the Super Bowl in 2000 because he was part of the team back then as well. Yes, he did. He was really good at evaluating talent then. Um, 
as to your Joe Shane point, I do agree. I do think he will be the guy, but this is the Giants we're talking about, and who knows what's going to happen, right? Yeah, and I really wouldn't be surprised or really that angry. There's nobody on this list right now where I'm like, that's a that's yeah. a bad candidate. I don't mm-hmm. think that guy would be good. You know, if they choose any of the three home run guys, you know, Joe Ortiz, um, Adam Peters, Joe Shane, if they choose any of those guys, be bad. I'm thrilled. And really, mm-hmm. even if it's Adrian Wilson, I mean, these guys are really young. Right. Isn't that also what we're asking for? You know, yes. I think it was uh, Ian O'Connor who came out, you know, uh, today is January 13th. So he came out January 13th and he said, the Giants aren't going to interview anybody over 50. They're, they're hearing the fans, which I also have a, I have a little bit of a problem with John Merrill listening to the fans. But I'm glad he's listening to the fans when it comes to not promoting Kevin Abrams. To an extent, right? <laughs> to, to an extent. I don't, you know, listening to the fans where you need to give yeah. Eli, you know, four more years and drafting Saquon Barkley. That's a different story, but they're they're looking to get young, and you're seeing how NFL teams are successful. It's with these young head coaches that are calling plays, whether it's on offense or defense, and you know young GMs that are using analytics and they're using value and they're trading back, and they have really good processes. That that's just the the wave of the NFL, and the hope is is that if these guys are young, they'll be here. They'll be here for for ten years, and we'll and we'll get another two Super Bowls out of it too. That wouldn't be too bad. Would be awesome. Justin, two more questions for you here. If Joe Shane is the guy, who do you think would be the top candidate for head coach? Yeah. Um, Brian Dabble was the first name that comes to mind, but also Harbaugh. I'm, I'm serious. They're, I don't know if I would want that. I don't know if I would want that, but I, I, just, I have this sneaky feeling that he likes the Giants. He likes the Giants. Things... You can you can be you want to be a real conspiracy theorist about letting about letting Joe Judge go. He puts out there there are rumors that are put out there that he's willing to leave Michigan, and that's when the seat started to get a little bit more hotter for Joe Judge. Joe Judge was safe. Rumors coming out of Michigan that Harbaugh wants to leave. The seat got a little bit hotter for Joe Judge, and then eventually he he's out right. So if that if that's something that Shane's looking at Harbaugh saying you're a proven winner. I feel like we can work together and they bring him in for an interview. And if they mesh, I think Vic Fangio is the defensive coordinator for Harbaugh because they were together in San Francisco. And I think, you know, you could have a, there, we were, I was talking with my, with my buddy that he's like offense coordinator for Michigan. Pep Hamilton is a guy that people really like. He can also kind of come over as well. He's a hot name right now. And then boom, that's a, that's a coaching staff. And I think people would be excited about that. So it's a really home run, and it's like it's not at the front of my brain thought. It's a back brain thought. But right. if we're thinking about names, why not? Dabble's a safe is obviously the the tie, but yeah. Harbaugh would be out of the left field. But if he wants it, he can come get it. Possibly, it's looking like Shane and Dabble might be the combo. But yeah. it'll left to be seen. There are a few wild cards out there. Now, last question: uh, heading into the off season, there's a lot of players coming out of the 2018 draft class that are free agents. And there are a lot of players who carry a lot of dead cap heading into 2022. Give me your top three players that you think, regardless of who the GM is, need to be released. I think Barkley needs to be traded. He has his fifth year option. So he's here next year, but how funny now it's how funny would it be? I'll say funny. It's not fun because Saquon Barkley not succeeding. is not a, 
fun topic, right? Right. But how funny would it be if uh, Joe Shane comes in here, calls up his uh, his old pal Brandon Bean of the Buffalo Bills, who need a playmaker, yeah, like Saquon, and then Saquon Barkley is traded to the Bills for. I think it can. I think you can get a third round draft pick out of him. I really do. People are thinking, oh, I don't think you can. I don't think you can get a high pick. There's going to be a football team and there's going to be a general manager that's going to turn on the 2018 and 2019 tape and see what this guy can do versus us Giants fans talking about what he can't do. I know that's true. Right. So Saquon Barkley, I guess maybe we can count as one. Kyle Rudolph has to be another. Has to. Uh, it just has to. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to also include. Sterling Shepard. I'm going to include Sterling Shepard in that. I'm a huge Shepard fan. I think he's the most important wide receiver for Daniel Jones' success because of the reliability that he brings. I mean, they, they, those two had like an 80, 90% catch rate at certain yeah. times when they were playing with each other. I mean, that's just insane. It's really, really insane. Such a high catch rate. So, you know, he was a chain mover, but unfortunately, like we talked about with Jones, your best ability, your best ability is availability. And even when, even when you're, if you're an optimistic Giants fan, you're thinking to yourself, Shepard is a lock to miss like six games. So, Shepard, Barkley, Rudolph, and I will throw in. Was there anybody on defense that I think we should cut? I think we should keep. I'm all in on kind of keeping Bradbury and Martinez. I think they need to be kept. I think they yeah. are good football players. I think they are worth their their price tag. So I'll, I'll even include the nugget of, I think those two guys should be kept, especially Bradbury. Absolutely. So I do agree with the three that you brought up for counting Barkley um, yeah. to give you a different three. I think Nate Solder is an obvious cut. I want him off this team. Yeah. I, I don't want him back. Um, I don't want the giants to resign. Will Hernandez. He's awful. He can't even block the stunt. He doesn't even know when the stunt is coming from no. the offensive line. And he's really been bad. At, he's been bad at that for for years. Like he, that has been his issue for years and years and years. And he just hasn't gotten better at it. And then everything else, not even counting the stunts, he's gotten worse from his rookie year. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. And then, lastly, I hate to say this because he's hometown bred, and I think you know where I'm heading with this. Uh, Jabril Peppers, because yeah. his contract's up, coming off a bad injury. You have X back there. You have Logan Ryan. You have Julian Love, who's entering a contract here. It was a solid third safety. You don't need those four safeties. You have to allocate money elsewhere. And if we're really going to improve this offensive line, that's where the money's going to have to go. I don't think you re-sign anybody that was drafted in 2018 this year. I don't think you consider a single player. I think you cut O'Shane in training camp or the offseason, whatever it is. Um, You know? I think Carter... Might deserve like a one-year, $1 million deal. Prove it deal? Yeah. Because of the way he's played the last five weeks. It's crazy. It's so yeah. nice It's so nice of him to show up. I mean, <laughs> to, to be fair, though, like coming off the torn Achilles. The Achilles, yeah. A similar thing last year with, with, with Mayo. I mean, there's so many guys who got hurt. Like, and, but you're, you're looking at that edge room and – you know, you can't you can't get rid of everybody. You know, that, no. that, that's the thing. You can't you got to have more than Aziz and Quincy Roche is here and we like him. But so Quincy Roche can't be a number two. And I think Aziz, his ceiling is a good number two. You know, I don't right. think his ceiling is a number one. And that, there's nothing wrong with that. You need it. Yeah. You need a solid edge rusher on the opposite side of your number one. I do think if they don't keep Carter, I think Ellerson could be the fourth. And then I forgot him. about him. There may be a battle. There may be a. So that's if you what bring I'm thinking. Back yeah, if you bring back Carter, 
Well, Aren't there maybe, I, I maybe think, there is more room than I thought. I think I think Jimenez is gone. Uh, yeah. I'll I'll say this. I may go out on a limb saying this. I think Nico Lelos can give you more production than O'Shane Jimenez. Mm-hmm. Tom, Hank, Sam, all of you do a great job. You run a great show. Um, I'm sorry this isn't live. I can't join you live, but I hope everybody enjoyed watching. Um, good luck to you all. Good luck to these uh, to these Giants. Let's go out there. Let's get this GM. Let's get this head coach. I'll be at the Senior Bowl. So if I can plug one thing, I'm going to be at the Senior Bowl. So Bobby Skinner, myself, the football grump, and Snacks. We're going to be going down to the Senior Bowl. I don't know what Snacks is going to do. Snacks doesn't watch film. I don't really watch film. <laughs> but, you know, Sna- Snacks, he's not a talent evaluator. But, um, you know, we're all going to be down there for a couple days at Mobile, Alabama. And I don't think any other Giants people are going to be going. So, Check us out. We're gonna have a, we're gonna have live streams. We're gonna do some vlogs. We're gonna have a ton of talk and ton of analysis on the prospects that are gonna be down there. So end of January, but beginning of February, that's where we're gonna be. So talking giants, stay with us, follow us, and uh, you know get a, get excited about the offseason because we're pumped. Well, thank you so much for hopping on. Appreciate your time as always, and hope you have a good one. Thanks, folks. All right, folks, that was Justin from Talking Giants. Bring back my co-host now, Hank. Hank, uh, might want to unmute yourself quick. Uh, long show tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, that was a great interview, though. Thank you. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I made a lot of great points, and I happen to agree with a lot of them. I think, I think Shane looks like he's going to be the guy. The more I really think about it, you know, seems to me he did really well in his interview process and if you get him and Brian Dable I would not be upset with that combo at all going into 2022 no not at all it's going to be interesting to see who the new GM is because I think that's going to indicate who the Giants hire as head coach Sam shout out to Sam Cardona the girl who talks sports caught the tail end awesome interview thank you Sam uh, Justin shouted out all three of us. He's been a big fan of our work. This full segment, we obviously had to trim it down by a few minutes, ladies and gentlemen. This full segment will be on our YouTube channel tomorrow. You can find our YouTube channel if you're not subscribed already below at Big Blue Avenue on Instagram, Twitter. Our YouTube channel is there scrolling across right now. Um, appreciate all the comments throughout the course of the interview as well. As we mentioned next week, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff, including revealing our top 10 player list from the 2021 Giants roster. I'm really looking forward to that. Last year, Hank, you and I had very similar lists, so it's well, going to be interesting. Do. Very interesting. But any uh, any final thoughts here before we uh, sign off? Well, a few things. One, first of all, time. Tom, you and I often think alike more often than not, like – there's been a very small percentage of times where we've disagreed. And more often than not, whenever I disagree, it's more like an agree to disagree thing. So I would expect it's probably going to be more of the same next week when we do our top 10 player reveal. Second of all, to expand on what I was saying about the GMs, I don't think there's really a bad GM choice to me and all the names that they've meant that have been mentioned. Everyone has come from a team that has established, you know, a winning culture and, like I said before, the fact that you're getting an out of out of New York guy to be the new GM, that's re- that's very much going to be a breath of fresh air. And I think Justin made a good point too, saying sometimes it's probably not the best when Mara listens to the fans, but that's probably one of those examples where maybe listening to the fans can be a good thing. But 
in any event, I'm really intrigued, going to be intrigued by the whole process. And for, I wouldn't, Hey, who knows? Maybe they, maybe we get this new general manager sometime as early as next week. I can't wait for, for this whole thing to play itself out. I'm also very interested to see who the new coach is. And like I said, I, I'm longing, really, really hoping for another year where the giants can just, again, not be contenders, just make me want to wake up every Sunday morning and want to watch the games. That's all I'm asking. Notice it, Notice my expectations aren't too big. I try to be re- realistic with my expectations. But in any event, Tom, it's been another football season. Always a pleasure talking Giants with you, my guy. I cannot wait to get into it for the offseason. And, hey, always a pleasure. Well, we still got a few more live streams left before we go YouTube True, exclusive but, for the off season. But you know, we do have a couple more comments. Steve says, "You guys always do a great job. Appreciate your insight, even when I disagree." Yeah, we appreciate Steve's comments as well. Uh, I feel like we agree on most things, not everything. But end of the day, Giants have cleaned house. Gettle gone is gone. Joe Judge <laughs> is gone. Adam says he hopes the Giants just don't suck. I In agree. other words, Adam, you just said the cliff notes of what I said. <laughs> you guys rock. Let's go off season. Yeah, and Sam will be coming back for some off season content. Going to be a lot of fun as we get closer to the draft. Really evaluating these prospects. We're going to take a much deeper dive into the off season this year, folks. But Hank. Thank you very much for joining me tonight. Thank you to everybody for commenting in the comments section. Make sure to tune in next week here on Facebook Live and YouTube for Big Blue Avenue. And without further ado, let's go Big Big Blue. Blue.